Hi there, good morning. Today we are talking about helping students retain concepts over several different lessons. My name is Victoria Bowler, and this is episode 47 of Elemental Conversations. For most of us, the reality of our schedule is that we are not seeing students every single day. For most of us, we might see students maybe twice a week, uh, maybe once a week, and then for some different schedules, we have something like, you know, six weeks on and then six weeks off, and there's a, a different rotation of classes there. So for most of us, we are going to have to think about this idea of concept retention, at least over a period of several days. This also ties into our last episode where we were talking about uh, what to do when half the class is missing. And that is another concept retention conversation about how do you maintain some sort of musical awareness, some sort of uh, musical concept awareness over several lessons when you know that you might be dealing with a different group of students in from lesson to lesson. So it can be uh, definitely frustrating. We've all been there. We've all been there where you stand at the front of the class and you know that last week you taught something and you know that students sang the song and they played the game and they did the activity, right? And you remember all of it. And then you're standing at the front of the class talking about something and you're getting blank looks coming back from the students. So the first thing just to emphasize is that this happens to everyone. And if you feel frustrated by this experience, you are definitely not alone. So today I want to frame this conversation with a combination of grace for ourselves and grace for our students first. And then we'll talk about the actual strategies for uh, helping students retain information from lesson to lesson. But if we just jump into the strategies without forming any sort of grace context, the strategies themselves might not be as useful. So let's back up just for a moment and talk about what might be going on from the student perspective and then what might be going on with our perspective. Let's talk about the student perspective first. Something that is really important for us to remember, you know, when we are standing at the front of the class and we know that we have been repeating ourselves over and over and over, let's say that we've been working on a concept. Um, let's just say that this is the third week of doing something like half notes, for example. We have been <laughs> at that point, we have been standing in front of students talking about half notes for, you know, 10, 10 days, maybe this is our 15th day that we are doing essentially the same concept in a lot of different iterations. And so for us, this might be the 15th time that we've said something, but it's important to remember that for our students, this is only the third time that they have heard us say anything about half notes at all right? Or anything about the directions to how to play this game or something to listen for in this song or anything like that. If we can adjust our frame of reference from being inside our own personal experience and imagining what students might be experiencing instead, that can help us move toward a good resolution to this problem. So if you feel like you are repeating yourself unnecessarily and that students should remember this big quotations around should, it's not that you are wrong. It's not that that perspective is invalid. It's that it's a limited picture of the full context of the classroom. 
something else to consider, you know, as we are imagining the perspective of our students is in the time between when they had their last class with us and when they're sitting in front of us right now, between that time, number one, like we already talked about, we have been saying the same thing over and over and over. We've been in half note land for this whole time, but students have left half note land, right? And they have gone to the art teacher or to the PE teacher, or they had extra recess or time with the librarian or anything like that. All of these experiences are very different from what they've been doing in music class right? So they've had time with other specialists. They've also had time with their classroom teacher. They have been doing their sports practice. They have been going to family events and a birthday party and a quinceanera and all these things that they have had in their lives (laughs) that they've experienced besides this half note game that we played in the last class. So if we stop and think about the amount of academic information that students are being asked to intake and process and retain on a weekly basis, it is astounding that they remember anything at all, right? That's the first step of this kind of uh, grace-filled context (laughs) conversation that we're having uh, is just imagining the student perspective. It's not that they are forgetting about half notes because they want to make your life difficult or uh, because they are trying to disrupt the class. It is not necessarily that answer to our problem. So we've talked about the student perspective and imagining what students are going through on a more broad picture. Besides, I know I taught you this last class. <laughs> we've talked about expanding out of that just a little bit. So now let's talk about our own experience as the teacher. One of the things that has come um, into much more of a public sphere recently is this idea of self-care and teacher self-care. That's something that we talk about a lot. One example of self-care in teaching is working on staying present with awareness while we are in front of the classroom. This is admittedly kind of a strange place to start the conversation about concept retention over several lessons, but hang on uh, because it circles back, I promise. (laughs) One of the things that really helps with our presence and awareness as teachers is when we can notice when we are getting frustrated. And if we can notice when we are getting curious, that distinction, when something goes off from our lesson plans, right? Like I thought that we would sing and play this game, but now you're looking at me like I have, I don't know, um, antenna coming out of the top of my head and you don't know what I'm talking about. We can definitely get frustrated and it's okay to be frustrated. It is frustrating when students don't remember what we know we talked about last week. We could also get curious about all of the different things that might be going on in this situation. And that shift from frustrated to curious makes a huge difference in our next steps. It makes a huge difference in how much we enjoy the rest of the class. So this awareness can definitely be helpful when something goes off, but it can also be helpful backing up to when we are actually singing and playing the game. This is an example about how good teaching is good for everyone, including the teacher. Teacher self-care is good for everyone, everyone involved in the classroom. So if we are teaching with awareness, that means that we have our eyes and our ears open to what is actually going on in the classroom. 
So before something, uh, before students say they don't remember or before the next step of the teaching process flops, if we can back up and really use presence and awareness at the beginning, that is going to take care of so much headache that we could experience in future lessons. So the question here is, have I actually taught what I set out to teach? Have I observed students doing what I expected them to do? Sometimes, for very good reason, we get a little bit caught up in the uh, process part of our teaching, and we're just kind of going through the lesson without really opening our ears to hear if students are doing things like matching pitch, right? And that's especially true if we are always singing with our students. So if we are just going through the motions of the lesson without really tuning in to what's going on in the classroom, that can cause us some problems in the future in terms of concept retention. And if this conversation about using presence and awareness to look at students and see what they need from us next, if that conversation sounds to you a lot like our conversations around assessment, I would agree with you. I view these as absolutely interconnected. So when we are teaching with awareness, we are looking for the answers to this question. Have I actually taught what I thought I was teaching? And have students done what I expected them to do? And then the follow-up question to that, this is where things get really, really interesting. To what degree have students done what I expected them to do? So let's imagine that we are singing and playing a game to work on half notes, just to keep that same example. Um, let's imagine that we're doing bluebird, bluebird. So to what degree have we accomplished our objective? Some questions that we might ask are, are students singing the song without assistance? Hmm. Are we matching pitch? Ooh, interesting. Are we keeping a steady beat? Uh, and then are we playing the game smoothly? To what extent is the teacher needing to jump in and kind of fix problems as they arise in the game? And to what extent are students kind of able to just do the game on their own without any teacher assistance at all? So we see that when we start to zoom in to our actual teaching process, our actual teaching objective, there are levels of nuance in this conversation about retention across several different lessons. So when a student says, I don't remember that, or a student says, we didn't learn that, oh, we didn't do that last class. When they say that, we can, in our minds, back up and think about the level of performance. Performance meaning uh, just the, the musical behaviors that students were showing. We can think about the levels of performance that we observed through what we saw and what we heard. And that can give us some really important information about our next steps. Because sometimes we think that students are losing their grasp on the concept between lessons from week to week, right? And that is certainly possible. Absolutely. And it's also possible that they did not have a solid grasp of the concept before we moved on. Speaking for myself, sometimes it is much easier to just execute the lesson plan than it is to open your ears, open your eyes to actually observe student performance and see how that might impact our next steps forward. And again, just to reiterate this perspective that the student can have, you have heard the song five times this week and the student has heard it 
once. So sometimes it's on the lesson plan, but, and, and you can recall, like, I know that this was on the lesson plan last week, but maybe it's something like it's on the lesson plan, but we didn't get to the song because a class was late or someone got picked up early, or we got stuck on another step in the process and we didn't get to this. So when we are actually teaching a lesson, a little squiggle that you just jot down on the actual lesson plan itself, that goes a really, really long way to helping our expectations for the next class. The very last thing on this point of teaching with presence and awareness is that we have already talked about the similarities between this, uh, this concept, this idea and assessment. Another thing that we can make a connection on is this idea and then clarity in our expectations. That clarity in our expectations, that comes down to our lesson objectives. So if we are lesson planning, a way to lesson plan with self-care in mind would be to have clear expectations about what we want to see and hear from students. That is our lesson objective. So again, I hope that I am articulating myself well. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that these connections that I view make sense to you as well. That when we talk about teacher self-care and we talk about good teaching, I view those things as absolutely interconnected. Self-care from a lesson planning perspective can have a lot to do with having clear expectations, aka lesson objectives, and then using presence and awareness when it's actually time to implement the lesson so that we know what students need from us next, and that is assessment. Okay, great. So we've talked about the student perspective. We've talked about a teacher perspective of presence and awareness. Now let's jump to actual strategies. <laughs> let's talk about transitions. We are perhaps used to thinking about transitions as a way to combine pieces of a single lesson. So we talk about transitions as a way to move students from instruments back to their spots or from their spots to line up or from one activity to the next, like one song to the next song, all of that kind of stuff. Those are the things like uh, connecting songs in one lesson with a story or using uh, several pieces in a row or, you know, two pieces in a row that have the same rhythmic or melodic pattern or something like that. That is absolutely a really important transition concept. This idea of uh, many transitions between the different activities in a single lesson. But the other type of transitions that are really important to us are transitions that connect many lessons over a period of several different weeks. And that has a huge impact on retention over several different lessons. So let's talk about two of those transitions. The first one is one song over several lessons. And then the second one is one musical concept over several lessons. Let's talk about the song uh, transition idea. So one song over a period of several different musical interactions. We can start with active listening and curious questions with that one specific song. So that would be something like um, adding movement and body percussion while students are listening to the song. And then you can say something like, what do you notice? Right? So that's an active, uh, a creative listening task. And if you just Google uh, Victoria Bowler creative listening, you'll have a lot of different ideas for this. So introducing the song with some sort of very simple simultaneous imitation movement activity 
something like a creative listening prompt, such as what do you notice? Something like a convergent listening prompt, like analyzing the form or counting how many times a specific word is used or something like that. So that would be step one of this transition process. And then maybe in that same class or maybe in the next class after, students can review what they did in the last class. So analyzing the form or bringing back that body percussion idea, whatever it is, but then we'll add on. Students can be singing a section of the song, a portion of the song. So if the song is in, you know, A, B form, maybe they are singing the A section, the teacher sings the B section, or maybe they sing the phrases that have the rhyming words or the first section and the last section, something like that. But not asking students to sing the whole song all at once, especially if we are asking them <laughs> to sing uh, the whole song by themselves and do the game by themselves. That is a formula that is not setting us up for success. So starting with active listening and curious questions, and then having a very specific portion of the song that students are in charge of and a very specific portion of the song that the teacher is in charge of. That is a big deal. And while we are here on the subject, if we have decided that students are going to sing a specific section of the song and we are going to sing our section, then students need to be ready for us not to sing along with them. And we need to be ready not to sing along with them. If we notice that students cannot sing that section of the song without our help, then it's time to go back to the active listening and curious questions piece of the puzzle. So you'll recall that we talked about assessment and self-awareness as one of the steps of the review process, as one of the things that we can kind of get situated in our own minds before we start implementing these strategies. And that's where this is really important because if students are not ready for step two of whatever our teaching process is, then we cannot expect them to be ready for step three in the next lesson right? So we have the song introduction, we have students singing a portion of the song, and then from there we can add the game or a game scaffold. And this will just depend on what the specific game is that you're using and how much experience with things like singing games your students have. And then obviously um, their developmental age, how much information they are set up to process and use in a single lesson, all of those good things. So we can add a scaffold to the game of something like if it's a movement game, we can think about ways for students to do the core motions in place. So just uh, off the top of my head, if we were to do bow, wow, wow, instead of jumping to the circle game right away, the partner switching game right away, we could have students stand in their spots, not moving at all, but still do these big motions of stamping three times and then shaking their finger and then turning in their spot to face a different direction and then stamping three times again to turn back towards the center of the circle. So we're not jumping into the full game itself. We're thinking about how to do the big core motions of the game in a more controlled setting. So then after that, we might ask students to sing the whole song without our help, without any help at all. And then we might add the full version of the game. And then we might add an ostinato to it. And then we might add a partner melody. And then we might transfer the song to instruments. All of these steps can be done, not in a single class, but spread out with one song with many experiences from lesson to lesson to lesson to lesson. 
This puts some safeguards in place so that even if a student is absent one class, they can recall the previous activities that they've done with this song. It's not, uh, you know, like a brand new song every single lesson or every time you introduce a song, you're asking students to go to level, you know, seven of the teaching process. One thing that I should also point out here is this is not, I don't mean to um, imply that this is the lesson sequence, the lesson progression that you should have for every single song. This is a sequence that you could have depending on your goals. So if you are just kind of looking for a way to get started thinking about transitions over several different lesson segments, then perhaps you take this outline of uh, listening and a curious question and then students singing a portion and then adding a scaffolded game and then doing the game and the scaffold and the song without our help and then expanding to something like an ostinato or a partner melody or transferring to instruments. That can be a nice progression if you're looking for a way to get started. So that's one song over several lessons. But let's imagine that you do not want to take eight lessons and sing Bow Wow Wow eight times in a row for two months every single day. If that is the case, then you will probably want to have a musical concept that you use over several different lessons with several different songs. This can look like having a specific concept, so something like a rhythmic pattern or a melodic pattern that you are focused on for several weeks in a row. So within that period of several weeks, you can sing songs and play games and do activities all around the same melodic or rhythmic pattern. This is where our song lists are really handy to have. You might recall that in some of our previous conversations, we talked about long range planning and part of that process is picking out songs that can all serve one single melodic focus or rhythmic focus, or, you know, whatever your objective is. It certainly doesn't need to be just a melodic and just a rhythmic. It could also be a form understanding or a textural understanding or something like that. For a lot of different reasons, most of us choose to focus on rhythmic and melodic concepts here. So with that list of, you know, let's say, oh, I don't know, four, five, six or so songs that you can use to teach something like uh, do or half notes, if we we're going to keep that going with that list, we can use those different songs over a period of several lessons and help students make the connection between uh, all of these different musical experiences and the common rhythmic or melodic thread, the common lesson objective or musical objective objective that is present with all of those songs. So we can start with singing songs and playing games that have that pattern. And then from there, we might find a way to move to that pattern. So if it's a melodic understanding, we might show the high and low melodic contour with creative movement. If it's a rhythmic understanding, we might find a way to play it on body percussion and move to it or move to it with tiptoes and steps or something like that. So singing the song, playing the game, and then finding a way to move to the uh, specific pattern. And then from there, we might notice the characteristics of whatever it is we are talking about. So is it higher than, or is it lower than other things we know? Is it longer than, or is it shorter than other things we know? Things like that. 
And then from there, after we have had an experience with it and we've moved to it and we have thought about it, that is a really nice time to notice that same melodic pattern or that same rhythmic pattern in other songs that we know by now, other songs and games that we have already experienced. But again, this is a progression over several different lessons. So when we talk about helping students retain information from class to class, a really great thing for us to do is to back up and think about the types of transitions that we are using. How are we helping students build those connections based on their past experience? So transitions are going to be one of our primary strategies for helping students retain concepts across several different lessons. The next thing that we can think about is having built in time in the lesson itself for review, uh, both from previous classes and from the lesson itself on that day. So a really easy question for us to answer, for students to answer rather, is just what did we do last class? Let's build in time for review inside the lesson. A really uh, seamless way to do this is to start with the scaffold from the previous class. So you remember that there is a progression of teaching and learning activities that we are using with our transitions. We can start with that review of whatever we did last class, and then we are using data observation. We are using uh, the information that we get with our eyes and our ears to decide how far forward to move in this class. So what can we do that is teaching? teaching a big concept in a bite-sized, actionable, observable piece. And again, if students are not ready to show you step two, then they are definitely not ready to show you step three, right? So having that review time for us, where we back up and do the previous scaffold and then watch them do the next step, that can inform what the next class should look like. Another way to review is to use the students as the teachers. So students as student teachers. Something that is very quick would just be uh, turn to your partner and tell them how we used this song last class. Or um, turn to your partner and remind them how to play this game. Or turn to your partner and let's say that uh, you, you don't finish the song. You start singing the first section of it, but then you don't sing the last phrase. Turn to your partner and remind them how the ending of this song goes. Stuff like that. Uh, turning and talking teachers as student teachers, that is a huge, uh, that's a really great way to build in review to the learning process because oftentimes students are much more likely to listen to another student than they are to listen to one more adult to tell them one more thing that they have to remember. Another strategy that we can use is not looking backwards to the last class, but talking about our goals for the lesson that day, whether it be at the beginning or at the end, or preferably both. There's, there's a lot of flexibility here in my mind to do what works for your situation. So if we build in time to talk about our goals and make sure that students know what we are trying to do that day, their chances of remembering it in the next class go up a lot. So at the beginning of class, we can say, uh, hey, today we are exploring a new rhythm. Today we are listening for a new pitch. Today we are learning a new game, whatever it is at the beginning of class. If we can share our lesson objectives, our learning targets, our I can statements, whatever uh, packaging you are asked to do in your school. 
If we can do that as part of the warm-up activity, that can help students out a lot because then they know what we're actually trying to do instead of having to guess in the next class after they have had a week off from music class, right? Another place that we could use a review is after the lesson segment itself. So we can point out, you know, after they sing and play the game to bow wow wow, we can point back to the lesson objective and make that connection, make that connection really clear about, you know, we said we are going to play a new game and today we played a new game, right? Or today we said that we would find uh, a beat without a sound and today we found a beat without a sound. Just making that connection as clear as possible for students so that they are on board with the learning target along with us. So beginning of class, after the lesson segment itself, and then at the end of the lesson, we can say, what did we do today? Or uh, type this in your brain and click save. Okay, goodbye. Have a nice day. Right. And again, it might not be absolutely necessary for you to use all three of these learning goal conversation touch points. You might be fine just talking about it at the end of the lesson. But if concept retention is something that you find your students are really struggling with, then these are kind of the, the steps that we can take to help them out for the next class. Other questions that you might ask at the end of a learning activity or at the end of a lesson would be turn to your shoulder partner and tell them why law is on a space if so and me are on a line or turn to your shoulder partner and tell them when do we stand still in the play party for Alabama gal or turn to your shoulder partner and remind them what the highest word is in our song tidy all of these strategies are things that we might put in the bucket of just good teaching, but when it comes to retention over several different lessons, these are the things that we can really pull out of our teacher toolkit and make sure that we are using in every single class. And then along those same lines of things that are good for concept retention, but they are also good for a lot of other different reasons. Uh, for me, long range planning absolutely falls into this category, long range planning. And then the daily lesson, uh, outline the outline of your actual 35 minute musical experience. When we teach more than one concept in a single lesson, that can really help students out. If we have a first concept that we are talking about, like a big primary concept, and then a change of pace to kind of like move around, you know, shake things up, and then a secondary concept that is a different uh, musical category. So let's say the first concept is melodic, the second one is rhythmic. Or if the first one is rhythmic, then the second one would be melodic. When we lesson plan in this way, we are helping students out a lot because the experience that students can have with this frame of lesson planning is one where they are always in contact with this uh, melody block, this melody, um, learning sequence and this rhythmic learning sequence. And then all of the other extra stuff, um, form, texture, expression, harmony, dynamics, all of that stuff that is kind of naturally embedded in the rhythmic and the melodic experiences. So if every single class has a time to work on a melodic concept and every class has a time to work on a rhythmic concept, and then the other uh, pillars of musical understanding are naturally embedded 
grade. That helps students make those connections from class to class. Here's the opposite of that. The opposite of that would be this isolated unit approach, which I want to say and be very clear has its own benefits. But one of the cons is that it makes it very difficult to retain information across units. So let's say that you have a rhythmic unit. You're going to do one unit on rhythm. Okay. Let's say that you are on rhythm for, oh, I don't know, five or six lessons. And then you're going to do another unit on melody and then another unit on form. Okay. Well, by the time we get back to rhythm, how can we expect students to make the connection to what they were doing six months ago and then find a way to try to extend those rhythmic understandings? Again, to be clear, it's not impossible. Many good teachers teach this way. It's just an additional challenge for the purpose of this conversation of retaining musical concepts from week to week. The same idea is true if we are doing a unit on recorder or a unit on ukulele or, you know, something, something like that. Um, I go into my thoughts on this a little bit more in episode 37, and that is organizing the music lesson plan. So again, just to make sure that I have said it as clearly as I can, <laughs> uh, there is a benefit and there is a cost to this type of lesson planning. The benefit of an isolated unit approach is that you really get to do a deep dive for those four to six lessons or however long your unit is. That is absolutely an exciting benefit. The payoff, the necessary cost of that benefit is that it is difficult for students, it's difficult for us to expect students to recall what they did six months ago or even a year ago and try to expand on that knowledge. So for for the purpose of retaining musical concepts for our elementary music setting, I am a big fan of this uh, common thread throughout many lessons of that approach as opposed to an isolated unit approach. All right, so in this conversation about musical retention across several different lessons, we started with thinking about the student perspective and thinking about the teacher perspective. My hope is that we can begin this conversation with grace for us and grace for our students. And hopefully that can inform the next strategies that we use. We talked about transitions between many different lessons, looking at one song over several lessons or looking at one concept and or looking at one concept over several different lessons. And then we talked about some strategies for review, like talking about what we did last class and using students as the teachers instead of us. We talked about ways to help students learn our goals for the lesson and having times to review within one single lesson experience. So uh, whether that is the beginning of class or after the lesson segment or at the end of the lesson or all three places. And then we talked about long range planning and how using a concept over several different lessons can be really beneficial as we are helping students retain their musical knowledge from week to week. That's where we will cap it for today. I hope that the rest of your week is as beautiful as you can possibly make it. I am cheering you on. I am wishing you all the best. Thank you so much for listening.